Hello, I'm Madam Scott Glancy, and I am the last surviving Legionnaire here at Fort Pagan Publishing, and I am one of the co-conspirators of Delta Green. And thank you so much for joining us today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Um, you make it sound like you, you're you ready for some payback or something like I've I've been waiting quite a while. For this no, 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 um, this is gonna be a good time. Um, oh my goodness, so enlighten us with a brief history of Delta Green, like how how many years has this been going on? Not just Delta Green, but Pagan Publishing. Well, Pagan Publishing way off the me. I mean, Pagan Publishing was founded back in 1990 by John Tynes and uh, guys like Jeff Barber, John Crow. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was involved in the early years. Chris Klepak, uh, Dennis came a little, Dennis Detwaller came in a little bit later. Yeah. Blair Reynolds was their very first artist that they, they hired, and he was a lot of the reason that, that, that the their first publication, The Unspeakable Oath, the fanzine, really got off the ground because Blair is sort of a demonically talented uh, artist, um, both in uh, skill set and in uh, horrifying inspiration. Um, he makes everything terrible. Um, and his artwork really did lift uh, up the oath quite a bit. Got it a lot of, of visual. Uh, it was seen. It was picked up off the shelves. It stood out for a little simple, um, you know, uh, staple bound uh, photocopied yep. book, you know, with, on this crappy orange paper. It was made down at Kinko's. I mean, they laid it out by printing elements and pasting them on a page. The very first one was made without the access to uh, tabletop. Uh, sorry, computer layout. Um, uh, Blair's artwork really made everyone stop and go, what the fuck, and pick it up. Um, yes. By the way, now that I've actually dropped an F-bomb, how blue am I allowed to work? Am I allowed to go full? Oh, we are unrated. Okay, so I can go full sailors with Tourette syndrome, right? Absolutely. Okay. That's so fucking loosely. All right, all right. It's going to get a little Sopranos up in here. All right, so anyways. Right. Now, uh, John? Um, with uh, with the uh, introduction of something here, I am going to hand the reins over to you while I run and get a memory-grabbing item from my basement. All right. Uh, okay. Would this be like one of those devices from MIB that grabs people's memories? And yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. I've, All right. I've, well, continue. I've never, I've never seen one of those. I can't wait to forget one. You know, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there was a, uh, this Halloween, there was a friend of my, a friend of ours who had their birthday on Halloween and, uh, it was like, they were born in like, I guess it was 67. Uh, they turned 50. And so their birthday celebration was you had to show up as something that came from a year that ended in seven. Right. So, uh, I have a black suit, a pair of Ray-Bans. I came as, you know, uh, one of the 
folks from the movie Men in Black. Clearly, I was the uh, uh, Will Smith character. Um, but uh, somebody asked, you know, do you have do you have one of those flashy things as part of your costume? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Do you want to see it? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, so what'd you think? <laughs> nice. Like, aha, perfect. The perfect prop is the one that they can't remember seeing. If so, I bring this to oh, Network 2019, will you autograph it for me? Yes, I will. Yes, Thank I you. will. I want to reach around behind the computer here and pull out that uh, I have one too. Uh-huh. And I want to note that I'm fairly certain this is the last one at Pagan Publishing. Wow. We are, at least of the original print run. You can get them as hard copies off of uh, Drive Through now, but uh, there was a time when they were super sold out. Wow. Um, and I was, uh, uh, and I was very, <laughs> that story that's in that I wrote, an item of mutual interest. Um, I had this crazy idea when I was writing it that what I wanted to do, because it's fragments of a diary, right? It's just sec- translated sections of a diary. So my original thought was to write the entire diary and then tear it up and throw it up into the air and just pick out whatever sections <laughs> You know, came out of it. And then I realized that is the dumbest idea I've <laughs> That is not what writers do. Okay. No. You it's can, full immersion. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there's a, a speaking of Nazis, because Item of Mutual Answers about Nazis. Uh, you guys have seen The Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman? I think it's been forever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's a scene where he's tracking down Sir Lawrence Olivier, who is playing the. the I know this sounds weird, the dentist of Auschwitz, right? He's the guy who would, uh, I guess, take the gold out of the teeth or whatever. And nobody likes dentists, right? Right. You, you like dentists? She's leaving. Okay. She's apparently, <laughs> I'll be back. The discussion of dentists sent her fleeing from the... Literally, right. Um, there's a sequence in the movie where uh, Hoffman's supposed to be uh, up for three days. And he's exhausted. And he's having his final confrontation down in the, this uh, sewage treatment uh plant or in on manhattan this you know uh, the end it's in a park or something and and uh, or it's the water pumping thing for the fountains in the park or whatever and uh he decides he's gonna he's gonna um uh, go full immersion and just stay up for three days right so he stays up for three days and is completely exhausted and he gets in there with Lawrence olivier nice um or horrible and uh yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, um, uh, he's been up for three days and he can't, he can't hit his marks, right? He can't remember his lines. And the, the, the story is, is that, um, you know, uh, Lawrence Olivier says to him, what, what, what's going on? You know, why are you such a mess? And Hoffman says, why? Well, I, I just realized that I needed to really be in character. I didn't really need to immerse. I need to, you know, um, so I, I stayed up for three days cause you know, character's up for three days and I, 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 you know, just lived on coffee and adrenaline. And, you know, I'm ready to go. And uh, that's how I could get into the right mindset. And apparently Lawrence Olivier thinks for a second and goes, have you tried acting? (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that was, I I sort of learned that same lesson with that short story that, no, you're not going to write the whole journal. You're going to create the illusion that there was a whole journal. Yeah. I I think the longest I've ever done was about 42 hours. And it sucks. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I used to. I, I can remember times in college when I was t- half, two-fifths my age, and I could do 48 hours at a, at a shot. My roommate, John Crow, well, former roommate, he's since, you know, 
got married, moved out, got a divorce super fast. Um, like he, you do. Like you do. Um, he accelerated development, I guess. Yeah, boom. <laughs> yeah, just through all the stages, you know, now he's working on a trophy girlfriend. Round two. I don't know if that's true. I do know he's got a girlfriend. I do not know that she's a trophy girlfriend. In fact, I'm almost positive. <laughs> if I was going to describe John Crow, I'd describe him as Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. He is so outstanding. <laughs> it's, it's just ramrod stiff, you know. You're all a bunch of weirdos, you know. <laughs> yeah, and yet he writes all this stuff, horrible stuff for Pagan Publishing. So, you know, who's the weirdo now, John? Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, uh, he told about, you know, being out in your neck of the woods at, uh, gosh, what's the big army reservation in Kansas? Is it Fort Riley? Yep. He's out there for doing maneuvers as a, as a you know, second lieutenant or whatever. Oh, Leavenworth. Leavenworth. Oh, maybe it's Leavenworth. And he's out there up for so long that, you know, he's having visual hallucinations after about 50-some hours. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, despite pouring the contents of the coffee packet just directly into his mouth <laughs> and keeping it in his cheeks like 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 chaw, you know, to just let the the caffeine get into his system and try and jolt him awake, you know. Um anyways, yeah. Uh so yes, I can I I have never done anything like that. I have never gone that long. Oh, yeah. man. But uh, it's it's no fun. Anyways, um so much about physical torture and exhaustion. Um, Pagan Publishing. Oh, yeah, physical torture and exhaustion. Um, <laughs> I didn't get involved. Oh, until, I didn't get involved until like 90. Oh, gosh, 91 or something. I started to get involved. Um, I submitted some stuff to John Tynes that was. Uh, I, so I submitted some stuff on how to uh, knit the mythology of the men in black into a Call of Cthulhu game. And at the time, I wasn't suggesting you should be the men in black. They should be a problem. They should be the outsiders who come in to muck up your investigation. You know, they should be the authorities who show up and have all the answers and all the answers are wrong, you know. Um, or they, they pack it up and it goes away and it, it gets, you know, put somewhere where it's, you know, but where's the idol of Sathagwa? We have top men working on it. You know, oh, yes. Top men. You know, maybe those guys, right? And John says, yeah, listen, that's a little, um, you know, that's a penny, that's a daylight and dollar short. Uh, check out the new issue of The Oath, number uh, seven. So I go, okay, and I look, and there's the first Delta Green uh, thing in, in, in there. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You know, so type of, what, we're still communicating by email, or, or maybe it was even mail. I think it might have been snail mail. And, um, I said, you know, um, do you have any work that would you need to be have done on this project? You can expand this project. He's like, sure. And I'm like, what can you do? And I'm like, well, I was in law school. I was um, try. I you know, I didn't have a television set, so I had the time. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, I, I'm working on a job search. I'm trying to find all the places I could work as a lawyer in the government. There's a lot of overlap in law enforcement and intelligence. Why don't I just distill the job search down? into a guide for players you know how many how many employees what's their budget where are they based when were they founded all kinds of crap and that became the agency section of the first delta green book and i sent that into him and he just he called me and says that's great how much more can you do you know because clearly (laughs) i didn't want to study law since i'd spent all this time on this instead 
And I just started, he's like, okay, I need, you know, I need the story. I need you to write the historical background on Delta Green. I need you to read all this conspiracy theory shit and write something on Majestic 12. I need you to make Saucer Watch with Saucer Watch. I don't know. It, I got a name. You do the rest. And um, the only thing that was like 100% mine that I contributed to that first book, I guess, was uh, uh, the Karatekia, which was the, the, the undead Nazis, uh, sorcerers and such. Um, that one was like, that was sort of pure, uh, that was kind of pure me. The rest of them I was working on assignments you know i got to flesh out a lot of majestic 12 i got to flesh out a lot of delta green uh saucer watch i got to flesh out everything except the i guess the name of it <laughs> um but uh 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 yeah that's how i got involved with pagan and we started working on that and i think we worked on that between like and we thought we were going to go into overdrive. Oh, we're really going to get it done soon because the X-Files came out. We're like, oh, my God, it's a big hit. we got to get this out before it's canceled or before it jumps the shark. And, you know, we did our best, but we got it out by 97 is what it was. It hit the streets. Um, and uh, 20 years ago. And um, Tell me. And um, Tynes, Tynes wrote my favorite scenario, Grace Under Pressure. Ah. That's even older. Yes. Even older and, uh, and, 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 and awesome. Still awesome. Um, yeah, uh, he and Jeff Barber, I think, were the, the guys behind that. And Jeff went on to do uh, uh, Blue Planet, which demonstrates he still likes him some, some underwater action, obviously. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I got involved then and um, came out to my first Gen Con in 97. Mm. Uh, came back. Uh, to my job at the state attorney's office in um, Sanford, Florida, the same burg that brought us the uh, Trayvon Martin shooting and uh, incredibly skillful prosecution that failed utterly. Uh, and I thought, um, if you, and, and, and basically that office was still that office when I was there earlier. So I don't see any, they didn't, they didn't get worse after I left. But I, I, I uh, was disillusioned with my work. I was not enjoying the law. Um, I had just received an inheritance from a grandparent. And so I said, hey, what if I came out to Seattle and moved into your um, hovel and, um, uh, and worked with you? And I went out and checked it out. And it was a hovel, although it's the same hovel I live in now. It's just that since my wife and her friend have moved in, it is now habitable by, you know, <laughs> humans um uh ken height referred to it as a frat house for serial killers when it was in its heyday um, um uh, i think it's a and somebody else's quote was something like it's all cat piss and speed loaders because there was this oh. one time because they had cats and john's cats uh monkey in trouble had no discipline and could not be disciplined and um were were, were, were just mean to us i think they took out a laser printer once uh yeah you know, you take that into the book. Can you do anything with this? Like, no, can't even touch it with my hands. So take that, <laughs> take that urinal out of here. You now have a laser urinal. Go by. So um, that, and at some point, I remember we're, we're running a game in the living room, and somebody comes out of the bathroom and goes, "Who left their speed loaders in the in the bathroom?" And they, and, and multiple people had to check. Oh wait, nope, mine. Sorry about that. You know, I'll come get them. Um, so yeah, that was pagan publishing in its in its heyday. Wow, how long how long did you end up practicing law for? Not very long, just three years. Mm. Mm. Okay. What uh, state did you get your bar in? 
Florida. Ah. Florida. So I, I encountered Florida man on a regular basis. Ooh. Every day. Sometimes he was on the bench. Um, sometimes Florida man was on the bench. There was this, oh, uh, that's frightening. There's a judge there who, uh, who's no longer on the bench. He was actually, th- he was actually disbenched or disbarred or whatever they call it when they get rid of a judge because he refused to follow a higher court ruling. He just openly defied it, you know, which had to do with um, jailing people for failure to pay their court fees, uh-huh. which was essentially debtor's prison, which is illegal. So they said, no, it is debtor's prison. You cannot, you know, just file a lien. And if they win the lottery, you can collect their court fees or whatever. But there, but this judge, who I should not name, um, no. didn't like that, and uh, he just kept locking people out and got and he got dumped off the bench. But when I was in front of him, I'm having a trial, a bench trial. I didn't set it. Guy on the docket before me set it, and I took over his docket. And so it's like it looks like open and shut. It's a deputy. He sees a guy in a flat bottom boat, at the bottom of a canal, one of these drainage canals they have in Florida, because well, the whole thing's below sea level. Drainage canal, big steep, steep sides, no, no foliage on the side. Most of the foliage is cut away on these canals. Not least because they flood and they'll drown. But the grass comes back, so it's a slope. There's a road along the top of the drainage canal for the utility vehicles to go along and check out the um, the canal. And this deputy's driving along up there, and he sees this flat bottom boat out in the uh, canal with a spotlight on it, which is shining up into the tree line at the top of the of the canal uh deputy comes over and says what you doing down there and the guy says apparently not realizing that it was a police car because his lights weren't on says something like i'm looking for deer and then the, the the cop goes well pull over here and it's not deer season and they get the guns out of there. he's got two fully loaded deer rifles and i don't know if we got any hunters out there but um you gotta have a not, license. You can't poach. Yeah, and and you also can't have your weapon fully loaded. I believe it's two rounds, and you gotta have plugs in the magazine for the to replace the bullets, so that you I can't. Spend too much time on the farm. <laughs> well, farm's different. That's your land, you know. But um, uh, a lot of the licenses in Florida require that the weapons not be fully loaded. That you carry like only a maximum of two rounds in the rifle and the shotgun. Hence, a lot of double-barreled and over-under work. So. Um, they pull him out. He's got two fully loaded deer rifles, high-powered rifles. He's shining for deer, which is what again? Illegal. Oh yeah, it's illegal to shine for deer. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't go down to their water source and where they're drinking and freeze them with a spotlight. This guy's doing everything wrong, right? Well, we get up in front of Erickson. The deputy does his testimony. The defendant doesn't say squat. Erickson get. I've said his name now. Um, gets up there <laughs> and. Um, he says, well, um, uh, I listened to the testimony of that deputy, and he clearly said in his testimony that the defendant was shining his light up into the trees. And as we all know, deer are non-arboreal animals. So there could not have been any deer in the tree, hence he could not have been looking for deer. Uh, case dismissed. You're innocent. Go your, go your way. Wow. And I said, fuck, like about that loud. <laughs> in the middle of the courtroom, just, to, just belt it out of me. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. You should go, you know, pull the transcript and, and um, get, this, get an appeal or something. He's cl- clearly making a decision contrary to the facts. But, you know, 
that's bullshit because uh, juries and judges can be the finder of facts. And if they decide that blue is red and up is down, that's the facts. Um, but I did pull the transcript and, and the, the, the court did pick up, the court, court reporter did pick up, fuck, you know, so <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe I won't have the transcript submitted with the appeal. Maybe this is not something I want to pursue. But I, I got a lot of that in court and in the law. And it just soured me on the whole process. So I, I bailed out after about three years. And uh, it's been all right. You know, I still had $18,000 in student loans to pay off, which, you know, again, would not have happened except for some uh, found money that turned up. But other than that, um, it was a good decision. It was a bad decision to go to law school. Well, it's a good decision to go to law school. It just was a bad decision to pay so much for it and to practice law. I just uh, just soured on the whole process, you know. Um, the uh, uh, Let's see here. The... Um, you ask an accountant how much two plus two is, and they'll they'll tell you four, right? Um, a doctor, if you ask them, will say, "Well, I'm gonna have to check with a colleague, but I'm pretty sure it's at least three, right?" You know. Yeah. But um, you ask a you ask a lawyer what two plus two is, he will he'll say, "Well, how much do you want it to be?" Yeah. Yeah. Now, and that's that count that that's on both sides of you know whether you're working for the state as a prosecutor or whether you're working in private practice or whatever. You know, uh, the, the rules are only the rules so far as they serve my client. See, but you had to know that going in, right? I mean, that couldn't have been a surprise. Um, it was, in fact, surprising how deep the cynicism goes mm. in the profession. You know, um, they, they, people clap each other on the back in that business for getting away with egregious bullshit. You know what I mean? Governments like, like that, yeah. Uh, if you were, uh, you know, we, we were giving cases to state attorney where I'm like, well, that's an illegal search. You know, why'd you search Fred? Well, Fred's a dirt bag. So I turned his pockets out in the middle of the street. It's like, was Fred doing anything? He was Fred. I know he's a criminal. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, that's not going to stand up in court. And I'd be told, you know, we're going to throw this out. And I'd be told by my, uh, you know, my supervisor, uh, well, you could go, you can't go and tell the cop he did it wrong. I was like, well, he did it wrong. Well, you can't go and do that. Well, why not? Well, he's a 20-year veteran, and you can't tell him anything. He knows what it's like out there. You're just out of law school two years. You're, you're, a, you're some shave tail. You don't know nothing. You know, you can't tell him what's what. I was like, I'm not telling him Fred's not a criminal. I'm telling him he did a bad search. And if he pulled a, a human head out of Fred's pocket, it'd be fucking inadmissible. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm telling you. And then Fred would get away with it. All right? That's what I want to tell him. You know, if, any attorney, if the defense is even half awake. But we were told, uh, take it to court. See what happens. What do you, you know, just in case the judge is asleep. And I'm like, well, what good is that going to do? It's clearly a bad decision. It could be appealed. You know, the judge mm -hmm. finds that there's probable cause. They're going to have a basis for appeal, you know, if it was something serious. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, we were told to just to, to try and make it work. See if it, see if it works. Things that were clearly bullshit, things that were clearly the state had fucked up. Why are we wasting our time with this? And it's like, well, go, go see if it'll work. And I'm like, it's a misdemeanor. Who cares? Yes. You know? Why do I care about this? Uh, you know, but anyways, um, and over and over again, you get these things where it'd be like, well, call the officer and, you know, see what he says. And I'm like, uh, and I'm like, look, sir, you know, here's the case law. This is, this search isn't going to fly. Do you want me to try and get it past the judge or not? And he's like, you, you know, he's like, well, and skip a day of court. No, I don't want to go to court. Just never mind. Drop it. Which then sort of smells to me like maybe he didn't even give a shit about the prosecution. He just wanted to fuck with Fred. 
right? <laughs> that was his. So I'm like, oh, good. Fucking with Fred is now something you know the state is supposed to suborn. You know, I, and I am, I am in no way some. I, well, I used to didn't think I was a liberal until you know, what it meant to be a conservative seems to have changed drastically uh, over the last twenty years. But you know, there was a time when I thought I was a conservative, um, and you know, I, you know, I just wanted them. It's like how hard it is to, to obey the rules and, you know, do the arrest and make it work properly. You know, it's not that difficult. Um, apparently, some people thought it was more difficult than others. Still do, apparently, you know. I don't know. Um, I mean, today it seems to be more of a parody in itself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we had a, a, a professor in law school stop class and give a 30-minute harangue about the bad reputation that lawyers had because somebody left a card on his desk that, or on his podium from the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. And he just did a conniption <laughs> about this, about the bad reputation lawyers go and that Shakespeare line, the first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. Uh, you know, I, that's the first thing we do. Um, uh, I from- don't know. We recently had a person in my city uh, get fed up with a defense attorney and uh, in the court case, a guy was stealing copper from another gentleman's property. The gentleman decided that he shot the guy that was stealing property because he was stealing his property. Yeah. And, and even though Kansas is a state that does recognize castle law, the castle doctrine, it was not in his home. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a, some abandoned property owned and the people yeah. are stripping it for everything it's worth. Yeah. And uh, he paralyzed the, the thief. And so the thief sued the guy, and he was supposed to make his first payment of like 120000 or something, sued the guy for like $10.2 million. And, uh, and so the victim then shot the criminal defense attorney. And uh, who, who had got him acquitted of, uh, of wait a minute. The shooter went on to shoot again the criminal defense attorney who... No, 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 no. Uh, Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The property owner that shot the guy in defense of his property Mm -hmm. shot the defense attorney that won the lawsuit. Well, at that point, okay, at that point, he's not a defense attorney. He's the the plaintiff's attorney for the the thief, for the realized guy. Yeah. It wasn't a. It wasn't like the public defender's office or his criminal case. It was the civil case. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um. Here's the deal, kid, buddy. If you weren't supposed to go to jail for being a hot-headed, bloody-minded scumbag who's just got a hate boner for shooting somebody who's stealing from your property, I guess this absolves any questions about your motives for shooting the thief, doesn't it? I mean, now we know it's out in the open. Oh, he didn't just shoot that thief for fear of his life. Yeah, he just shot the guy to shoot the guy. He clearly spends a lot of time in front of the mirror posing with his guns with his dick out, and now he's <laughs> finally gotten a chance to shoot somebody again. Goodbye. Yeah. Enjoy prison. Yeah. Enjoy your stint in prison, you responsible fucking gun owner. I got well, guns all over my, my house, and I have not managed to shoot my neighbors in a dispute over parking spaces oh. or trees over whose lawn or you know, for fuck's sake, I, you know, I grumble, grumble, 
Piss moan. Right. Uh, well, so, you let me ask you a question. You kids these days. <laughs> now, now you, you said you Are we consider- supposed to be talking about games? Why am I talking about all this terrible shit? Okay, well, we're, we're going to go way out on a limb now then because I'm, I'm, I'm following this thread. We're, we're pulling okay, this little okay. fucking sweaters coming unraveling. Right, you're pulling the sweater apart. Go right ahead. So, so you had considered yourself a conservative. Yeah, uh, I did. And 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 then, but I, and I did you know at at some point maybe still kind of sort of uh, but obviously way more middle right than you know fucking wacky right whatever but it seems to me uh, that in in gaming in general not only in the industry but but by extension you know our podcasters and our gamers and everything else lean more to the left and not like way wacky left but but left of center. And maybe it's more on social issues or whatever. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it an issue of, you know, content creators and, and being more uh, well, it, it, appreciative of, of like the social aspect of, of creation and that valuation of people's, you know, time and effort in, you know, creating Delta Green or podcast or whatever it is? Well, you know, that's a really, that's a, a question where I could just pull an answer out of my ass, but it's not going to be based on anything except, you know, <laughs> anecdotal information. Um, I was going to say that um, uh, I suppose that, you know, um, there is a problem with, uh, there is an issue maybe, I guess, with the creative arts that um, um, it seems to be a pretty welcoming space for uh, a lot of um, uh, outsider uh, identity uh, and outsider uh, material. Um, there are people who have had some relative success as conservative creators. I mean, I think of uh, John Milius, the director. I mean, this is a guy I've really enjoyed his work. Uh, I, you know, am a little dubious of his um, his uh, board membership on the, the NRA, but uh, you know, I've I've enjoyed things like Conan the Barbarian, and I enjoyed things like uh, 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 Red Dawn, the Dillinger movie he made. Um, I, I really like the wind and the lion. If any of you have not seen the wind and the lion with Sean, with Sean Connery as the bloody mufti, where he's playing a Berber of all things. And he's got his Scots accent on while he's being a, a religious and military leader in, in uh, Morocco turn of the century. It's a great movie. It's absolutely spectacular. It's, it's, it's worth seeing. Um, but, uh, Emilius is a pretty, is, is a pretty conservative guy, you know, um, he's done. Okay. Uh, certainly, there's a, a big slab of uh, conservative writers. I I I don't know about their grumping. Uh, they're grumping around into the whole sad uh, puppies thing, but I don't count the complete whack jobs of the the rabid puppy branch as being conservatives. They're they're some kind of reactionaries. You know what I'm talking about with the uh, yeah okay. Um, those guys, those guys are just uh, uh, just scum fucks. I, I, there's, there's no intellectual rigor. Uh, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> um, there's a number of them who, who, who profess weirdly monarchist <laughs> ideas. Like they don't think they're going to end up as serfs in this new system. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm real sorry, kids, but you pencil neck geeks are not going to be in charge. It's going to be some ex seal who can smash the most brains out of the most heads with his fists. You know, that's who's going to be in charge. You're going to be at best the steward of the stool who has to pick up the, the chamber pot out of his room every night. You are not going to be, 
you know, the, the, the Duke of, of, of Lawrence, Kansas or something. That's not going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, um, uh, that stuff I don't even consider really conservative, but the, certainly it's a, a, the, the, the left has had a, a place in the arts for a long time. It isn't always like that. I mean, you, you listen to some of the stuff from the 1930s and stuff. You, you find there are some very conservative artistic creators back then. Um, I, I always think of uh, Salvador Dali as being one of those. Um, I, I had to learn from Ken and Robin talk about stuff, why that is, where they mentioned that his home estate got run over by the, by the Republicans. Uh, during the Civil War, and so he always had a, and some of his family members got abused. Although there's not, we're not sure to what extent, but um, uh, he certainly had a uh, a beef with the um, uh, the Republicans ever since, and was uh, always a you know more on the side of the Nationalists because they hadn't you know poked his family in the eye with a sharp stick. Right. Um, but uh, there are plenty of you know there it's. Um, I don't know what the deal is here. I don't know what the uh, people try and tell us that there is a psychological basis for political beliefs that you're that what you're butthurt about makes you a liberal or a conservative. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just not sure I buy that. I mean, I get the old gag that a liberal or other a, yeah, a liberal is a um, is a conservative who's been arrested and, and the conservative is a, is a liberal who's been mugged. Right, you know that your 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 political leanings could change depending on which side of that equation you get stuck on, but I don't know how that exactly interacts with um, with creativity, with writers, with movie makers, with uh, music producers. I mean, well, you know, uh, Eric Clapton, right? Huge fan of the apartheid government of South Africa, right? Um, we don't like to think about that because the piano exit on Layla, Layla's a great song or whatever, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Clapton was, you know, was right up there on the edge of those, uh, uh, the Kafir ought to know their place and Nelson Mandela's a terrorist, you know? So, um, uh, I really don't know. Um, okay. I really don't know. Um, well, that, that's fair. I, I just, I figured I, I would ask. It's always something that I've, you know, kind of like, it's just sort of knocked around in the back of my brain, you know, especially interacting with, with so many people in the, in the community, designers, developers, and everything else. And it seems that's kind of the way stuff leans, which is fine. Like, I'm not making a judgment on it. I just, I, I just find that it's interesting that, you know, as, as a community, as gamers, that that seems to be the case. Well, yeah. And, and there are certainly people I've run into who, who were a little cautious about something that might be considered uh, conservative. Um, John Schneider, who was an artist who worked quite a bit with us, uh, we, and then took a break because he was trying to—he was going through a bad divorce—and but uh, came back and did a little more work for us. Did some illustrations in the first two Delta Green books. Um, John uh, was a big gun collector, you know, and had his um, had his uh, uh, collector's license, so the ATF could come in the house and search any time, and he had all his, you know federal tax uh, documents for those guns where he had, like, I think the weapon he owned was a suppressed MP5, <laughs> which is one of these, uh, the SSD from the 90s or the 80s. And he owned one of those, so because he owned it, uh, he had given up his right to Fourth Amendment search and seizure <laughs> as far as the ATF was concerned. But that's, that's the bargain you make 
if you want to own a weapon like that, is the ATF can just walk in your house and say, we're here to, we're here to inspect your weapon. Um, so um, he didn't mention anything about his gun collection, you know, for a long time until he, we were at Gen Con and we were talking about guns, and he kind of exhaled, was like, oh, phew, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. I can talk about this and not have everyone, you know, tell me that I'm a, a baby killer or whatever, or I'm, you know, part of the problem. Um, and certainly, you know, that's my possibly my most conservative stance is, is that uh, I'm not for uh, gun banning like in, say, England or Australia or uh, Canada. Um, I'm against that. Uh, but there's a lot of wiggle room between that and everybody gets, you know, a suppressed submachine gun and, you know, and conceal and open carry is okay, or you can walk into bars with guns now. And that was the one thing in Arizona where not only do they have open carry, but you can carry a gun in a bar like it's 1870. And I'm like, no, didn't that lead to some of the big gunfights in the old West as guys in bars with guns? Wasn't that the whole point of, you know, half yeah. the great gun battles of the wild West is you threw alcohol on top of firearm possession. And then, you know, and then you get well, municipalities that say no guns allowed in city limits. Yeah, there, there's there's a mix out here because there's even, you know, like in Pima County where I'm at, there's buildings where it says no no firearms. You know, hospitals, obviously, you know, schools and things, but, you know, even some, you know, uh, privately owned places and stuff just says, yeah, no firearm, leave it in the car. Yeah, yeah. Um, we just had that to where uh, college students can carry on campus. Yeah, because they never know when they might need to be that good guy with a gun. Because uh, that works every single time. Yeah, yeah, it it, it does. The, the, we had hey, we had a two, we had two good guys with guns uh, at that church shooting recently, and he only managed to kill twenty two people. So clearly, it worked. Yeah, it worked great. I'm not saying he didn't de deter them after the first twenty two, you know, because apparently he fled. I think it was only he fled the fact that yeah, he drove away. But um. You know, that didn't just stop it like that. It just doesn't, you know, it, it uh, anyways, never yeah, mind. That, that's going way far afield. I think that we're having one of those discussions where, no, there, there's a point where we should have stopped, but let's just yeah, keep going do. and see what happens. <laughs> let's, let's start talking about the age of consent. Maybe Roy no. <laughs> has a point no, about this no, whole thing. No, we're not. Let's, uh, um, I, 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 I appreciate you're I appreciate your willingness to talk about a very wide variety of topics. Yeah, but I think on our broadcast, we want to know about games. So let's get back to the yeah. get right. back to games. Well, so, yes. so the, the probably the most pressing thing then, right, is uh, what's going on with with horrors of war. Now, uh, you you'd posted you were very uh, open and and very revealing and and on the Kickstarter and the updates and things. Uh, so what what's happening? Well, it's been three months since I posted that, which means I am failing miserably. Uh, I have a marginal excuse. That's what these are, excuses. And even though I told people what was going on with my mental health, that I was depressed, that, that, that the previous year had been all about my uh, dad's Alzheimer's and then his death and then my you know being depressed about that, yeah, there's some level where I can't help but think these are excuses, all right, not explanations. And um, telling my backers in a post, here are my new list of excuses, is very uncomfortable. Um, because I'm not sure I've earned enough credibility to present new excuses. 
Um, I really haven't. Um, the new excuses of my wife went through some, had went through a, a health crisis over the last uh, three months, um, which we are getting some surgery for on the we, like I'm going under the knife, which she is getting some surgery for on the 27th now that we've actually got the insurance to approve it and got a room booked and all that. Um, and that ate up all my time. Um, I haven't mentioned it on the page because on the, on the backer page, because this is the first time I've really mentioned it in public is that, I mean, it sounds like bullshit to me. I, I, you know, I had one set of excuses and now two, three months have gone by and I got another set of excuses. I need to produce something and I'm working on that right now, uh, with, uh, uh, one of my artists and, um, one of the guys I had doing all my, uh, conversions of stuff to PDF moved from North Carolina to Seattle during this period. He actually just arrived two days ago in Seattle. So I can put him to work uh, again now that he has you know, finished the move. I can put him to work again, converting some stuff to PDF, which means I can offer the backers more free product to say, oh, my God, this is pathetic. But here, how do you, would you like a PDF of Walker in the Waste or a PDF of Realm of Shadows? I mean, eventually they're going to end up ordering the entire Pagan catalog on PDF. <laughs> <laughs> they'll never see the damn book, but they'll have the entire catalog of Pagan Publishing on PDF, so that's something. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, what's going on is that I'm not giving up on the project. Uh, I've had to give some refunds, and I got some more refunds to give. Um, but, uh, no, I don't consider the project dead. I'm hoping I can get it done by 11-11-18, um, which would mean that, gee, the project only took as long as actual World War One. <laughs> Which means, because I started it on the day, I started the Kickstarter the day the uh, hostility started on August 1st, you know, uh, oh, no. 2014. If I get it out by 11, 11, 18, then hey, it actually, the project took as long as World War One, which is not good at all. How, how long will the silent period be again? What was that? How long will the period of silence be again? Uh, before I communicate again on the... No, 11, 11. Oh well, there's no moment of silence. Hopefully, there'll be there'll be much rejoicing, and okay. people will enjoy their book and enjoy the scenarios. And uh, if we do any more, or I hope we do more um, Horrors of War stuff, what we're going to do in the future is we're not going to do a big book. We're going to do small PDF, one scenario at a time releases, and then maybe we'll bind them into a big book and release them. But we'll just we're not going to make people wait this long. It's going to be one PDF scenario, illustrated, laid out produced and then we'll use that layout in the big book just fold it in later and you can have a you can have a, a, a big book later but um yeah the project was more ambitious than i considered and i have had a number of uh there has been stupidity there has been laziness there has been bad luck you know i and i really don't have a i don't know don't making excuses is really tiresome uh, and I do not wish to make them. So all I can say is that uh, I am still working on it. Uh, John Crow is still working on it. As I mentioned, he went through his own things recently uh, this past year. So we are trying to get this thing done. Heather Hudson is one of our illustrators. She's just gotten off a number of projects that she was working on. So she's going to go back to doing illustrations on Horrors of War, starting with uh, the scenario Dig to Victory. So... We will have some horrible claustrophobic illustrations of tunneling underneath the fields of Flanders, right into the side of a temple of Sathagwa. And sure, it's nice. Be fun. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you say, 
you know, and I guess people are going to feel however they feel about it, right? I mean, you, you and, and Kickstarter is sort of a wonky thing, right? So, I mean, you're you're banking that, you know, someone says, hey, I want to do this thing and I want you to help me. And people are like, shit, why not? Here, take my money and hopefully I'm going to get something. And, you know, there have been some projects but, famously but that have fallen apart. But, but it has you know, turned into a pre-order service. That is the it has. It has. From, yes. That is the expectation from fans, particularly in the RPG world. This is a right. pre-order service. And sure. uh, the first time I did a Kickstarter, the book was laid out and illustrated before I started the Kickstarter. And I thought, you know, hey, this is all written. I can get the illustrations together. I can do the final edits. Uh, you know, everything's going to be great um, I'll, uh, in uh, the short period of time. And no, it is not great. Um, it has not been great. And I'm not doing this again. If I ask for money from somebody again, it's going to have to be because there is layout and art. You know, right. that's it. Um, uh, or at least the words of the art, you know. But, um, yeah, that'll do that'll slow things down considerably, but I just do not like the... We've broken a lot of faith with a, fan, a lot of fans, um, and I do not blame them at all. Um, they have their expectations, and we did not meet them. Um, right. You know, so uh, we, uh, I, I can't come up with anything else in the way of, you know, there, there's no other defense about that. So... There, no one has been nasty to me, but they have asked for their money back. Right. You know? Right. Um, uh, very. And I guess very, that's fair. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I like so we're. I mean, we're lucky in the fact that that we you know we know you right. So we you know maybe not necessarily know all the intrinsic details and stuff like that, but we know that you know you're not out to screw anybody. You're not stealing money. You know whatever. But someone who's well, something had to pay for this big pile of books behind me. And I, think, <laughs> I think it was the funds from the Kickstarter. That's what I think. But, you know, but people who are maybe not as familiar don't get to hang out with you at Gen Con or Necronomicon or any of those sorts of things, and they're just looking at it like you say, this is a pre-order, I love Call Cthulhu, I want to play this game, and now, you know, it's four years. And I guess, you know, for those people, anything that gets said isn't necessarily going to make it better. No, uh, no, but, it's not. What they need is to see an actual, some actual... Yeah. Uh, results and hopefully I can get some results done this month. Yeah. Um, I just don't know whether I should, uh, you know, make a uh, make a announcement to the start pick the backer saying, ah, you're going to see something this month because what if I get run over by a bus? You're right. Right. I mean, I mean, I've already got the surgery that's going to happen on the 27th, and I'm not expecting anything to happen. But you know, right. Sadly, it's uh, it's actual go under surgery, um, mm. which scares the piss out of me. Yeah. I, I am I I can't do it for this, but I'm like, can we just can you just give me a bottle of whiskey, doc, and you know, <laughs> because uh, because I've I've known people who've gone in for the surgery and what fucked them up was their lungs coming back after the surgery that they didn't make it because the you know the 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 uh, anesthesia affect their respiratory system and their lungs failed. Hmm. Um, or their, or it affected their digestive system and uh, minor things like getting an impacted bowel because the morphine or whatever, uh, has, has messed with your digestive system. Right. That's, that's doable. But I know at least one person who, who didn't come out of surgery because hmm. their lungs gave out because they had, uh, well, they had problems with their lungs too, but still that's that was the thing. And it was really, you know, so it, um, it's one of those things where I like, that's a real fear, you know? So I, I you know, I was supposed to go home and uh, visit my family um, uh, weeks ago, but I've just been stuck here sort of dealing with this. 
and it'll be hopefully done soon. I mean, hopefully, but it's uh, it's been zero fun. This has been a big zero on the fun meter. But you know, that's my problem. All right, the backer's problem is worth their eighty-eight bucks. All right, and oh my gosh, what kind of a monster is going to compare their eighty-eight bucks to my problem? Well, first of all, I haven't exp- I haven't told them this problem, so they don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't and I don't know about and I don't feel like it, and there's something weird about saying. Oh, well, my, you know, wife's sick. How dare you? You know, how dare you object to the shitty way I've been running this Kickstarter <laughs> just because my wife is sick, right? Now that's, you know, it's like when, you know, it's like trying to say, well, you know, I think there's a cost. I think there is an individual constitutional right to own firearms. And someone says, my child was killed at, you know, uh, at, at a mass shooting. And you're like, um, you're done. Arguments are. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You got nothing to say. You say one word, you're a you're a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel I don't want to shut down. I don't want to shut down criticism uh, about the way things are going with some bullshit about. You know what I mean? It's just so if, when if somebody sees this and goes, "Oh, I want to comment on the Kickstarter page," Glancy's a douche, even though you know people he he likes are sick. That doesn't make me any less of a douche, you know. I mean, if I'm if I'm screwing things up. So, you know, it's, it's something that I'm not real, I don't know quite know how to, how to bring this to the, the customer, the, the backer, because it feels like a way of shutting down, it feels like a way of shutting down genuine, legitimate criticism, you know. So, anyways, uh, hopefully I will be able to get a couple of things uh, to the backers and real soon, and they will, they will have something to chew on while they make their decisions about whether they want to drop out or not. Maybe they like getting free PDFs of Big and <laughs> Well, I'm going to interject for just a moment um, and bring us a word from our lovely sponsors. Uh, mm. Kids, don't forget to drink your coffee. Um, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. They roast unique craft coffee in small batches, so it's always fresh. And those signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavors that coffee has to offer. The Night Owl Blend, for instance, is a rich, deep cup of coffee with notes of smooth caramel, decadent cocoa, and bittersweet molasses with just a of acidity to cleanse the palate so you're always ready for the next sip. And then I will hand it off to you, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> well, sadly, I'm not, drinking, I'm not drinking their product, but I will be happy to try some in the future. You've got to try our signature blend. There is a Legends of Tabletop blend available on our website. The Birds is yes. doing. And Going right there. That's, yes, and there and it, if you order this and enter the code Legends Ten at checkout, you will get a ten percent discount. Awesome! That's what I want to hear. Oh, see, perfect. That's even more plugging right there. Excellent, plug. excellent plugging. Oh my God, you have so much static right now. <laughs> Audio. That's what I'm pulling up here. Was that my static? Oh, okay, went away. It went away. <laughs> Yeah, I turned it down a little bit. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, you know, you know, I, it, for me, and I have no skin in the game, and and we cannot talk about this anymore. But you know, much love and respect to you for, for presenting what you did 
yes. to the backers because that i mean certainly not an easy thing and i know you're saying you know oh, it's making an excuse make an excuse and maybe right so you know from backers perspective probably right but but when those things are happening and you know having to you know have to be cognizant of self-care and and you know making sure that you're in a good place and, and you know maybe backers don't want to hear that but that is so important um and and, you know, and we're like we're community right like we're all gamers and again there's going to be people who are like you know what fuck it, i don't care it's been four years i want my money back but you know we're so supportive as a community i like to think that you know i hope that people respect that you you know the things that have happened are happening whatever that you know you are you know still a valued and valuable member of our community you know what i mean and and that, and that people would be willing to throw support at you again if you come back to kickstarter or you have no. other things and they're not like oh fuck that guy because that, that's here's the deal here's the deal you know that's easy for you to say buddy yeah i ain't got 80 of your dollars but um, I will say that uh, they, I, there's only one way I expect people to give me another shot, and that's if I deliver one of two things, a refund or a book. That's it. Right. Right. You're going to get a refund or a book. And um, that's, the, that's the only guarantee I can give people right now is that you're going to get your money back or you're going to get a book. You know, um, And uh, I, still, I still stand by that. And when that happens, I, you know, I, I certainly would hope that people would uh, uh, give me another shot. Now, granted that 80 to 100 or whatever dollars didn't get to sit in an interest-bearing account somewhere for, you know, four years and earn them whatever. I mean, surely they, they would have all put it into Bitcoin and be billionaires by now. <laughs> if only I hadn't taken their, their money. But uh, I realize there's a loss there. I do recognize that there is some loss. That money could be used for something else. People have budgets. But if they get it back, I hope they will, you know, they will figure not too much harm, not too much foul, uh, and be willing to, you know, roll the dice again, as it were, to bring the metaphor back to gaming. <laughs> cool. Is, is that, so do you have other projects that you're working on at all, or is that, that pretty much that's the only the thing that, that's the only thing that i'm really working on right now uh except for i've got one thing i've got to do for delta green but it's not it's not going fat forward very fast either um it's you know i've certainly uh haven't put a lot of work into it but um uh it's um it's the uh the sort of the sequel or follow-on to a scenario called iconoclasts that leah played in uh, at Necronomicon, I believe it was, uh, where you guys all, all the players start off as ISIS foreign fighters. Uh, 20, you know, like 18 to 20 year old uh, European douchebags who thought they were going to go back with their, you know, maybe their parents are Moroccan, but they, they're Arabic as shit because they've been living in Europe for their whole life. But they're going to go back and they're going to be badasses and people are going to be really scared of them and they're going to join the baddest gang in town. Or, you know, and they'd show up and, and ISIS is terrible. And, uh, as, and as members of ISIS, you're on, you're on um, artifact smashing duty where your job is, like, is to go around and to this guy's place who supposedly collected um, uh, uh, artifacts collected uh, uh, works of art from Persians and earlier from the area art. Babylonians, and hit it with a hammer while someone films it to demonstrate your religious fervor. And then the thing happens 
that unfortunately never happened on any of those videos we watched. And that is, they smash the wrong artifact. <laughs> you know. That, and, uh, that scenario was so much fun. Um, tell me, what, what, as one of the most uh, misogynistic of the ISIS fighters, you were terrible. <laughs> you were super terrible. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you, yes. You got to play up to everything you hated about these guys. Um, what was your favorite sort of uh, uh, moment as this thing unfolds, as you peel that onion and find out that the middle of the onion is a, is a landmine? Oh, my goodness. Um, actually breaking the seal and having your apt description of what was going on as it occurred, um, that, that was just so beautiful. <laughs> um, because I, I kind of throw on this mode when I go into conventions because I realize that the scenario writer has put a bunch of time and effort into making this thing for other people to experience. And my job as a player is to help deliver the most fun that I can to my fellow players too. And if there is a stall in the gameplay, my mission is to make that plot move forward. Like what would my character do in spite of my own not wanting to do that thing? <laughs> it's not whether you want to open the seal, it's whether your character wants to. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and so it's like, I've got to keep this moving. I'm going to yeah. keep it moving. And I mean, I, I was, Tempted to uh, rape, pillage, and loot. I was totally gonna gonna accost the female. Oh. but I I you're gonna you're gonna accost the woman who was the informant for your own side. Oh yeah. That's an extra double plus horrible. Thank yeah. you very much for getting into character as far as <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I almost did. So, but, but I didn't know the other players. If I had known the other players, I totally would have done that, <laughs> but I didn't really know them. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to present, I'm not going to show my complete ass. I'm just yeah. going to show a little bit of crack. Just, there you go. Just, you get some ass footage. Just a plumber's amount. All right. Just yeah. A, yeah. Not, not spring bake, just a plumber. Yep. Um, that's cool. We've had, I've played that scenario a bunch of times and it goes down wildly different each time. My favorite thing about it was, uh, uh, one of the things about it was Ross Payton and the guys from Role Playing Public Radio were going to do it. Yeah. And they, got, they got super nervous about it. I said, you're going to be playing ISIS guys. And they're like, uh, I don't know, man. That's like real shit that's happening to real people. And it's like, you guys played Nazis once. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, you guys and how played... is that not less, how is that less real? 70 years ago, made it more palatable or whatever. Uh, and like, or they played North Korean, um, North Korean goons in, the, in Kim Jong-un state um uh at some point and um uh and both scenarios were those scenarios were still scenarios where it's like you're terrible people and terrible things are going to happen to you and at least this time they'll deserve it you know? right um but uh they were really nervous about that because they were very uncomfortable which is which i gotta tell you like okay so nazis didn't make you uncomfortable but isis did that's some uh 
that's some awesome branding, Isis. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, Isis. You know, when when you're not squicked out by Nazis, try Isis. Oh, all the all oh, the worst everything. I mean, okay, the SS had the Lebensborn program, but not this whole. You know, here's your personal rape slave. Congratulations, ISIS fighter. Yeah. It's up to you to keep her from sneaking out a back window and escaping. Yeah. Um, that's just astounding. But again, it was a scenario where you went and did terrible things and terrible things happened to you. Um, there was um, there have been scenarios where some people have closed the vault door and left their buddies inside to, <laughs> to, to, to get to get scrambled. Um, yeah. There have been uh, uh, scenarios where um, uh, most everyone died. I think there's a scenario where one person survived. Uh, there's a scenario where some guys escaped and were driving so maniacally with their loss of sand points, they didn't stop at an ISIS checkpoint and got gunned down and shot with RPGs. <laughs> so their truck just blew up. That was the end of them. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite, though, was um, uh, there was three players got out of the, out of the pit. And uh, it it is comes boiling out of the uh, out of the, uh, the vault, and they had run and two of them ju jumped in the truck and had somehow hotwired it because the keys were with some dead guy, hotwired on a first try. It was like electrical repair, and it was like oh two. I'm like okay, <laughs> rip the fucking cowling right off the thing, and boom, truck starts up. You're going. So they're driving off, and they leave the third person behind. <laughs> So they have to make like a, a, a dex or con roll to catch up to the truck and jump in the back of this sort of flatbed, you know, cargo truck. And it comes out of the pit. It goes over the top of the house and then there's now coming up the driveway after them. And the uh, person in the back is like, you know, what do I know? Didn't we have a box of dynamite back here? And I'm like, yes, yes, we did. It's like, great. I start preparing the dynamite. And I'm like, okay. And so they're rolling on their, you know, uh, I said, well, you know, it's going to take a lot of time to take that dynamite out that's loose and, and wrap uh, tape around it while you're bouncing down this road at 50 miles an hour. And she, who had never played Call of Cthulhu before and had never played a role-playing game before, says, no, 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 I just want to set a blasting cap in the box of dynamite and jump out. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can do that so she sets a blasting cap in the dynamite in the box lights it you know and jumps out of the truck hoping that the monster will follow the truck and get them right but she fumbles the jump out of the truck and she breaks her leg and um uh, uh she's laying there with bone sticking out of her legs and the and it comes just lands right on her and she's all ah, dying horribly and the two guys in the truck are like Oh, it, it went after her. Thank goodness. We're going to make. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and they, they're like, you know, we're going to ram the gate. We're going to make it. We're going to. Yeah. That was like, that is like the most Call of Cthulhu ending I can, I can think of. I was oh, like, I was like, well, there's a bright light and there are no virgins. <laughs> the, nice. the, the end, you know, and they're just like, they, and everyone has a ball dying when they're, in charge of somebody as horrible as an ISIS European recruit. So oh, yes. they, they dug that. Um, but again, like I told you, that's, that's a player handout. That scenario is what you find on the found footage videotape that was with the, with the ISIS guys that is supposed to spur you as Delta Green guys to go, hmm, 
I guess we're going to Mosul, aren't we? And so you have to go to Mosul and fix the problem. One of the things that you're going to find is the problem is chewing up a lot of ISIS people. And it's like, do we get rid of the problem right away? Give it a week or two. I mean, it's making a lot of, it's making a lot of skinless corpses. You know, that's the thing, right? Um, It's the best people. It's happening to the best people. But, you know, it, like any area effect weapon, is not concerned about who it flays the skin off of as much as how many people it flays the skin off. So there's plenty of people getting whacked in the, uh, in, in, in the meantime. And so mm-hmm. the question is, you know, do you, you know, one of the questions could go up is like, do we just let it do its job and f- screw up the uh, Islamic state a little bit more? Or do we, you know, snuff this thing out quick? And what if we snuff this thing out in a manner that gets us caught? Are our lives sa- worth saving these douchebags? You know? Maybe we should just leave it to them to sort out, you know? Um, now, let, let's just take take the Kickstarter mm-hmm. and push it aside just for the moment. Yes. In this hypothetical discussion, yes. um, looking ahead for Delta Green, yeah. what can we expect? You can expect the hardcover for the handler's guide to be out sometime in the spring. The okay. PDF is available online. Uh, occasionally it's getting updated because we threw it out there so people could go, oh, typo, oh, we found a margin that's too long, or, you know, mm. which is the stuff that we never get in real life. And we're sitting around the table going through it until our eyes bleed over this 300-page document. Yeah. Um, but as a PDF, we can, you know, correct any mistakes. If somebody finds a typo or a misspelling or, or whatever, or uh, an alignment problem. So that's really kind of cool. Um uh, and so that'll be done soon, and we'll be trying to get into an actual book that will be actually in stores. But it'll go to the backers first. They get it first, and they'll all be mailed out, you know, by hand. Um, at least that's how I did it the last time. I think Shane and Ivy may have uh, maybe have contracted a fulfillment service that will do that for him, so he doesn't have to go crazy um, uh, boxing and shipping everything individually. But um, uh, that'll be coming out soon. Um, you may have noticed that we've been releasing these um, small PDF uh, adventures for Delta Green. Those are coming out once every month or so, maybe every two months. They're going to keep doing that. Um, Iconoclasts is in the lineup to be that. Um, there's another scenario that uh, I've uh, done that's uh, attached some source material called uh, The Enemy of My Enemy, which that's a scenario, and that's where um, as Delta Green players, you find uh, that a former Delta Green person may have joined a cult. Uh, the thing is that he's joined a cult whose main job is to fuck up Narothotep. Um, so, but it's still a cult that is mythos connected. Oh. So, what do you do about this? You know, do, can you work with these people? Um, or are they just another threat to human reality? You know? Do they worship Yig? No, they do not. They actually, um, uh, I got this idea, and I've said this at Gen Con, uh, the idea that I came across was a couple different things. Um, one, there's a temple in England where I think um, Lovecraft may have gotten the idea for the story, the Strange High House in the Mist, and it may have also informed the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. 
um, because it was being excavated in England in the 20s, 30s. Um, I don't know. It's I don't think it's Bath, but um, I think I'm pretty sure it's not Bath. But it was a temple to a deity called Mars Nodens, which was a Romanization of Nadua, which is the Celtic god, and they smooshed Mars and Nodens together. Now, Nadua was the is a which again is the the source for that name Nodens is a crippled god sometimes called Naudu of the Silver Arm because he's got this fake arm because he lost his arm in combat. And he was the head of the Pantheon, but once he's been mutilated, he can no longer lead the Pantheon of, of uh, uh, Celtic gods. So whoever is the, the uh, whoever stepped into the Odin slash uh, Zeus position, I don't remember that god's name. But the Romans um, uh, managed to sort of... Um, squeeze these two together with certain other aspects of Roman gods. And one of the things that they took on was um, a healing thing. Uh, Mars Nodens became a god of healing, particularly healing injuries in combat. And um, the temples that were built in England were built and funded by uh, donations from Roman centurions. And they've left these plaques behind that say, you know, in in uh, fulfillment of my you know uh, oath, you know this building has been built by so and so, and um, you know much like we do with any hospital wing is the George and Nancy Sanders you know Memorial Hospital wing. Right. So one of the things they have up there at this place was they've had dog kennels, which was very odd. And it's like, well, what's the connection? Well, dog dogs are associated with a hunt which Nadua has some connection with, which is a little bit like the wild hunt from Celtic mythology. Mm-hmm. And uh, dogs are also associated with healing because people believe that a dog licked a wound, it would not fester. Yeah, yeah. Which is partially true. The dog saliva is actually an antiseptic to certain types of bacteria, but the dogs carry other types of uh, uh, bacteria. It, it works some of the time, but it was enough to create folklore. And so they actually had kennels on the site of the temple where you would have your wounds or injury licked by dogs and it would be part of trying to get you to heal or kill an infection uh, or something. So I heard all about that years ago and I thought, and there was a comic book that came out called uh, Fall of Cthulhu. One of the interesting things in that is they played up the wild hunt aspect of Nodens really hard in that comic book. And and so um, that was very interesting. Uh, it made Nodens into this god of badass man killers and hunters, you know. And I'm like, huh, that's not something I was expecting from Nodens because my brushes with Nodens were the two stories and um, two Lovecraft stories. And of course, whatever his stat block was in uh, the, the, the Cock the Little sort of, you know, monster manual. Um, but then I heard this story about Marcus Luttrell. Do you know who Marcus Luttrell yeah. is? Okay. Yeah. He is the seal who is the seal from uh, Soul Survivor or Lone Survivor, the Mark Wahlberg movie. He's the guy who was blown off of a cliff in Afghanistan after an incredibly nasty one-sided firefight. Not about one-sided, but, you know, 50 to four or whatever it was, or 100 and something to four, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the rest of the team got killed. He got a broken back. Uh, not paralyzed, but he had multiple fractured vertebrae. He's done doing halo jibs, right? And um, when he was living in Texas, 
the first time I heard about his actual name, when I, I mean, I heard the story, one seal survived, and we all heard that story, and then he kind of dropped off the radar a little bit for me. And then I picked up the story, and I was trying to remember why I was looking into dogs or dog abuse or whatever, or animal abuse, because there was another scenario I was looking into. Because uh, a friend of mine used to uh, do hospice for, for old animals or abandoned animals and stuff. And some of the things that they found were like, holy shit, where'd this dog come from? You know, it gnawed. It clearly it had a chain around its neck. Did it escape? Did it escape from some place that's horrible? Is there some guy out in the barn in the woods doing horrible mythos shit? And the dog was, you know, nearby. And, you know, so I had this idea that the dog would be your only witness in the case, right? And you'd have to somehow track that back to the problem. Not quite lassie, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the matter, Billy? Billy's opened a gate to another dimension, Lassie. <laughs> um, but uh, Luttrell uh, had a companion animal, right? He had this dog that was his companion animal, you know, for his PTSD, right? While he's getting around on his ranch out in Texas, and somebody drove up one morning and shot his dog in his front yard. And he jumped, he jumped in his truck, grabbed his gun, grabbed his phone, got on the phone with the sheriff's department, and then eventually the Texas Highway Patrol, because these guys, he chased them out of his county, which is no easy thing because Texas County is a giant, and into a couple other counties and through another bunch of other counties uh, and talked the cops on behind them, I'm, have them in sight, you know. And at some point, nobody's not sure exactly what happened. These guys fucked up and crashed their car. Whether Luttrell hit him with his vehicle, I don't know. He certainly would have had the training to yeah, put him yeah. off the road. But I don't know. But I suspect these guys just fucked up driving 100 and something miles an hour and crashed their car. He pulled over and held him at gunpoint until the cops showed up. Bunch of teenagers, maybe one person of age. Um, the gun ends up being linked to a bunch of animal shootings all over that area where these guys' idea of a fun time is to go out and shoot somebody's pet or shoot somebody's livestock because they're winners, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, th I heard that, and it just suddenly fell all together, this idea that if Nodens had people who worked for him, they would have companion animals who were dogs. That would be like their familiar, right? That would be they'd get their messages, almost a la Son of Sam. Although I'm not sure I'm going to quite go there with the Son of Sam thing. I, maybe we can connect that. <laughs> but, uh, but good old Son of Sam is not a military veteran, all right? My thought was... Um, Nodens is the god of veterans who are wounded and crippled and can't do their job anymore. And so what if Nodens has a way of giving them a, the ability to have a mission again? It won't be the old mission, but it'll be a new mission. And that led to this idea that they, the dog, you know, you, you, you get the dog that shows up. Uh, perhaps it's assigned to you by, uh, you know, the Veterans Administration unknowingly. Maybe it just shows up on your property looking for a handout, you know. But you get a dog that turns up in your life. And that dog then becomes a spirit animal that leads you into the dreamlands, leads you down the steps of deeper slumber, uh, into the dreamlands, into some uh, far away and, uh, you know, uh, rocky and blasted place where you meet Nodens. And Nodens gives you the sales pitch. You can join his army, you know, and, uh, and fight Narlathotep. That's clearly what Nodens does is fuck up Narlathotep. And to do that, to get your body back the way it was, you have to sacrifice your dream. And your dream limbs have to be crippled in the way that your real life limbs are. So if you've lost legs or something, you've got to cut them off. 
if you've uh, broken your back, you have to fling yourself from a cliff, you know, and um, uh, you have to gouge out your own eyes or whatever, or set yourself on fire in your dream self. And that dream self is permanently crippled in dreamlands. Um, but in the waking world, uh, when you want to have it, you have dream limbs or dream eyes or a dream tongue or whatever it is that you need if, uh, to, that, that you lost. Uh, um, it's invisible. No one can see it. So no one asks, why did daddy grow his legs back? You know, they're, <laughs> they're invisible. Um, they're also immaterial when they don't need to be. Yes, they'll carry you around. You can walk. You can put socks over them, shoes over them. But bullets pass right through that. You know, just leave holes. If you've got legs that are gone, you can never get shot in the legs again. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, uh, you can't be blinded again. Uh, you know, things like that. Um, you know, uh, and um, uh, with this, you know, with this sort of dream accessories, you are basically sent dream missions. You just know where to go to meet up with some other guys you've never met before. We're, we won't need guys. <laughs> you know, and and uh, then you just go together to kill somebody you know you're supposed to kill. A lot of this smells uh, like um, frailty. Remember frailty, the Bill Paxton movie? He directed it, but I think um, I guess he was in it too. I guess he starred in it too. Frailty is the movie where the Bill Paxton's raising his two sons. He's got no wife. She's dead or whatever, and he's a fairly religious guy, but not uh, not. Uh, uh, abusive about it or anything and one day he just wakes up the kids in the middle of the night and says god talk to me there's a war there's demons and we're going to fight the demons and he, god is going to send me magic weapons to allow us to fight the demons and never get caught and those things turn out to be a wrench a pair of work gloves and an axe that he finds <laughs> like in a in an abandoned bar with a big beam of light that comes right down to the stump with the axe sitting out of it. And as long as we use these tools, we can never be caught and God will protect us. And God and dad just starts getting messages. That person's a demon. So they clonk him on the head with a wrench. They put him in the car. They drive him out someplace. You know, they touch him to, you know, to see the visions of the uh, dad touches them to see the visions of what the demon's been up to and then kills them with the axe. And then they bury them. And he's got his eight year old and there's like a six year old and a 12 year old kid helping him. And they're freaking out that day. Oh, dad's gone insane. The young kid's like, dad's the best. He's fighting demons. And you're like, yeah, exactly. Right now that's, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. Um, that's bad. I, I, I almost don't want to give away the spoiler. But the no. only thing that could be worse, and I won't tell you which one it turns out to be, but the only thing that's worse is what if dad's right? What if we live in a universe where an angry God sends the worshipful out to kill in his name and they are unstoppable? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, that's which, the thing. Which option do you want? Dad's insane and is murdering people for no reason. The world <laughs> is full of demons. And God's answer is to make us kill them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing with the mythos too, right? It, it's not, you know, it, it's not, you know, is it, is it worse to have these creatures who, you know, consider us insignificant or for there to be nothing at all? Like where, what's the worst nihilism of the fucking, you know, you're like, Oh shit, it's either fucked up or it's fucked up. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> The, the horrible line I threw into the, threw in the back end of a, a story I wrote a while back for, um, gosh, was it Dark Discoveries Magazine? I can't remember. Um, it was a Delta Green story, and the guy's having that old, con you know, 
crisis of conscience. What are we? Are we just a fucking death squad? I mean, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing this? And, um, uh, you know, the, the older guy is like, well, you know, he tells a story about going to Rwanda to try and find the mythos problem that was clearly in Rwanda. Right. You know, and being down there amongst all that nastiness with the, uh, uh, the Hutu death squads, uh, the inner Amway and things like that, and finding nothing, finding absolutely nothing. It's just people being shitty to people, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's terrible. That's, that's an atrocity. But the thing about the mythos is, if it ever turns up, we're not going to get to have atrocities anymore. There's going to be nothing. We're going to be extinct. Yeah. So what we're fighting for is the opportunity to have more Rwandas. That's it. That, that is it. We're, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's cheered me up, boss. I can't wait to get back to work. Let's, uh, let's get back to dismembering these cultist bodies and feeding them into the, uh, the, uh, the, hyd- was it the um, hydro cremator. Just horrible thing I ran across recently. Are you familiar with these? Every mm-hmm. Delta Green team should have one. Oh, God. There's this, uh, yes, there's this, uh, it's a high, was it, uh, it's not a crematorium or cremation. It's, uh, it's, uh, I want to say it's called like liquivation. You put a body in this thing, it loads up the, a few chemicals, mostly hot water under intense high pressure and high temperature. And you can liquefy a body in about four hours and pour it down a drain. And it is, it is not toxic. It is just, it is completely inert, all right? It's not even going it, to, it's, it's just reduced to this, you know, uh, something you can flush, you know? Uh, it doesn't even have, you know, so I'm like, okay. Uh, so much for barrels of caustic chemicals. <laughs> yeah, now, now you know, exactly. Now, boys, look at the improvements, boys. You don't have to keep them barrels of, of, of lye around or, um, or uh, that, that, this is much better, um, you know? <laughs> You know what, what? What? What has changed since we used to have the cow? You know the old outlaw Delta Green. Now we joined the program. What's improved? Well, we got the liquidator thing over here. Now, <laughs> you've if you haven't ever digged a grave, a shallow roadside grave in the middle of the night, you don't know what you're missing. All right, <laughs> so much better. All right, yeah. I still have sciatica from all the fellow agents I've had to bear. <laughs> the the night. This is so much better, kids. Oh so, man. Yeah, and, and apparently all it leaves behind is something called bone shadows, which you can uh, become so soft you can crush them by hand. But they recommend putting them through a bo- the same bone grinder you use in a crematorium. And it's just dust, and it's all gone, and there's no genetic material in it at all. Wow. So it is, it, is, it is mafia vanishing cream. If any organized crime group tends to be killing people, first thing you do, buy a mortuary. Second thing you do is buy uh, one of these uh, liquidators, or whatever we call it. Uh, uh, I know I'm saying it wrong, but it's yeah, liquid cremation. It's, and everyone's angry at it because, uh, well, this is disrespectful to the body. You're just making a device so you can flush grandma down the toilet. You know, I'm like, or send her up the chimney, you know, or yeah, what, what? Have you cut her open and stick your hands in her and stuff her like a marmot? You know, what are my options here? There are no op- good options yeah. with the dead. You know, suddenly that thing where the ghouls, you know, are cleaning up the mess for us doesn't sound so awful compared to all the other options, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just equally awful, you know? But, um, 
Yeah, yeah. So that's what the future is. Talk about your, you know, there's your nihilism for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you fighting for? More Rwandas. <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to that game. The RPPR group played that game you're just talking about with Nodens as the as the patron for I think, and it was a really good game. <laughs> it's a it's a nice scenario. Well, I, first time I did it, I had too many Nodens cultists, and I couldn't really figure out a way for them to get out from under it without getting whacked. Um, so I cut down on the number of cultists, but they were still plenty lethal, you know. Um, in fact, I was particularly thrilled that the that the killing headshot was delivered to the sniper with someone firing a way out of range pistol by a character who had no gun skills. Yeah. <laughs> she had she was like the forensics person. She like you know just sticking her gun up out of the out of the the ditch on the side and blam 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 blam. And then just <laughs> silence. It's like. <laughs> You know, the guy with the rifle who missed is like, I got him. I totally got him. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Bob. That looks like a pistol impact. I don't know that you get Shut up. I got him. And it's like, <laughs> they lucked out. They completely lucked out, you know. Yeah. Um, they were in a bad way uh, getting shot at by that sniper. And hitting him in the head was one of the few places you could hit him. When they got there, it was just a torso. Right. With, right. An, with, with empty pants legs and, you know, a couple of boots nearby, you know, <laughs> and, and no eyes. Like, it was just, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a meat log that had a heartbeat, you know, and a place where a colostomy bag went. Right. But, you know, not when he's in the service of Nodens. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he looks like he fared better in that helicopter crash than otherwise previously reported. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, that went over pretty well. I, <laughs> Ross did a lot of drinking that game. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna say his drinking did not it did not uh, add to his, the quickness of his decisions. Right. Because uh, worth remembering anytime so anyone time somebody says in game my character has a couple of shots to steady his nerves. You know I want to throw it at them later. It's like okay don't lose the sand hit because of the booze but your decks is. Your your <laughs> in, this, in this fast draw moment, you know, on who shoots first, eh, yeah, might not be what you were hoping it was, you know, right? Uh, but that's Delta Green. That's that's Call of Cthulhu. We're we're not mm-hmm. here so you can uh, jump across backwards, firing two pistols akimbo, and while you roll over the hood of your car. I mean, you can do that, but you might shoot yourself in the foot, yeah, right. or or shoot your buddy, you know, or shoot an innocent bystander. Um, throw my cat. It's best to shoot your buddy. Yeah, well, he's more likely to forgive you than an innocent bystander. Plus, he won't squeal. That's true. You know, what's he going to do? I was on an illegal mission, and um, let's just go to a doctor. I always want to have one time where the players have to go to a doctor in Delta Green where it turns out they're like in a vet. Because that's what it always is in some crime drama, you know? You're always going to some vet who's sewing you up, you know, and giving you a shot of horse tranquilizer or something. You know, that's the, that's the best you can hope for. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. It's always a good time. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Okay. Today. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, uh, keep an eyeball out for, uh, again, the Handler's Guide. Uh, certainly that'll be available uh, initially be available on uh, drive through You can order hard copies there, but there'll be hard copies sent out to distribution as well. The backers will get them before anybody else. Okay. Um, and then just keep an eye out for things like, uh, you know, uh, Iconoclasts and uh, and The Enemy of My Enemy. 
And you guys can you guys can party with Nodens. He's a cool guy. Look how look how helpful he is. Arms and legs are back, and get to kill Narothotep cultists. It's fabulous. Okay. Well, they thank you all for joining us. And as usual, if you like what you see, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe. I'm going to. And all right. And uh, and we'll catch up with you later. Thank you so much. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.